Hello and welcome to Libromania, a podcast for the book obsessed from the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and each week I'm bringing you conversations with authors, biographers, designers, collectors, critics, and other people who help make books so worthy of our attention. Hopefully by now, if you've been listening, you know the drill. Today though, we're going to have kind of a live uh, ongoing conversation with people who you are already familiar with. If you are familiar with the Close Reads Podcast Network, if you've been listening to our shows, then you already know Heidi White and Tim McIntosh. So Heidi, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Heidi and Tim and I are here to discuss books with a Valentine's Day flavor. We are going to discuss some of our favorite, uh, most romantic books ever written. So uh, Valentine's Day is, of course, uh, Thursday, February 14th. Um, today's the 12th. This will run on the 13th. So we figure why not prep you for whatever you're doing to celebrate Valentine's Day or not doing to celebrate Valentine's Day with some books that uh, have to do with romance. Now, unless I'm wildly mistaken about Heidi and Tim's general um, book preferences and tastes, we will not be talking a lot about um, quote unquote romance novels. Should we go ahead and <laughs> throw that out there now? Is that safe to say? That's a I think we should. Yes. Okay, well, good because my whole list is romance novels. So um, I'll just I'll take care of that corner. I don't believe um, it. <laughs> you don't. Okay. Well, so I got to thinking as we were talking about this. You know, you, there was you guys. I don't want to say you give me pushback, but you were there was a little bit of uh, consternation and concern about could you find enough books that were really romantic. And I found that sort of humorous. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I guess I want to ask, why do you, what's, the, what's the problem here? Tim, Heidi, wh- wh- why are you having such trouble finding books that have romance in them? I mean, are you, re- are you anti-romance, Tim? Is that the problem? <laughs> I'm, I might be. Let me just propose, <laughs> like, for me, what was a big obstacle? Uh, let's take Gone with the Wind. I'm not claiming like this. This is not one of the books that is on my list. But Gone with it the is Wind on is on many people's book. list, though. It is. It's a. It's not a happily ever after story. Mm-hmm. So the the instructions that we are giving, I kind of read it as I, I did not know whether or not it was acceptable <laughs> to include a romantic book that does not have a happy ending. So I purposefully, just to make you angry, um, didn't give any parameters like that because I was yeah. I was kind of curious to see where you guys would take it. It's sort of my own little um, experiment here because um, I want this is going to help me get to know each of you better. I feel like <laughs> to understand understand each of you a little bit better. Uh, Heidi, was that this, did you feel the same way? Um, I think under different circumstances maybe not exactly the same as tim but i had the same trouble of of (laughs) creating a list because i think that i just have different standards of what is romantic to me than the average novel might play to so yeah that was yeah so i and I know you, I know you, David, and I know that that's why you didn't give us any parameters. And I was, yeah. So I figured you were just leaving it very open-ended on purpose to see how we would define that. And so I did a lot of, 
I don't know if I want to say soul searching because mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like all I did all day was think about what <laughs> this podcast, but I did indeed think a great deal about how I define what I think is romantic. And yeah. as I said on our group text, you know, half an hour ago, I'm learning so much about myself. I've never mm-hmm. chosen a book in, his, in my entire life because I thought it was romantic. Not a single romantic book is on my favorite book list. And I didn't know that until this particular podcast. Hmm. Okay, so just some background for people. So what we're going to do here is we're going to count down. We, I asked Heidi and Tim, and then I made a list myself, to, to count down the five, their five favorite books that would be romantic. What I'm not particularly interested in, I suppose, is us saying these are the greatest most romantic books ever. So, I mean, if you guys approached it that way, we can we we'll take that as a conversation point and we'll jump off. But I'm more interested in you know what are the books that that you guys love because I think that that's gonna give us uh, more interesting conversation. Um, so what we'll do is we'll count down from five to one, and if anybody has one of the books that the other person says, we'll just go ahead and talk about it at that point instead of talking about it multiple times. So like if my my five is your three, Heidi, then you can go ahead and say, okay, that's that's on my list as well. Um, <clears throat> so we'll take it like that. But I guess the first question before we dive into our list, we need to spend a little bit of time talking about how we think about romance in literature. And I, I mean, we, this should be a fun conversation. I hope I don't, we don't need to take this too seriously <laughs> for this episode. Um, but Heidi, you said you were doing some soul searching on this one and that, and that there were <laughs> books that were not, you know, no, none of your favorite books would be considered romantic. So how do you I mean, how do you think about that idea of a romance in a book or a romantic book? I mean, what does that mean to you? Um, well, one qualification, there is one of my favorite books is my number one on the list. So we'll get there. But <laughs> well, that, that's like the exact opposite. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, the rest of them though. Because I'm, right, you know, uh, I love, I read, I love Brideshead Revisited. That's my favorite novel ever. There's, it's not romantic or there's romantic parts of it, but mm-hmm. it's, couldn't be considered a romance, right? Unless it's the romance of the soul to God. So that I think is the idea of romance. I mean, it's just the love of a man and a woman. And that's a great motivating force for lots of people in how they read. They want to read a good love story. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has just not necessarily ever motivated me in choosing a book or liking a book. You mentioned the idea of a great love story, Tim. Is that is that for you? How you would is that the angle you yeah. took about romance? It's a, yeah, that's, it's that's a, the it's angle a memorable love story. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay, so when you go, so what makes a memorable love story in literature? Like, what are the elements that have to show up in such a such a, a novel or even a collection of short stories? Or I was debating whether or not we should include plays, but, but then I feel like Shakespeare would dominate a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well. I cheated then, David, because I did include a Shakespeare play in mine. Well, I've got okay. So I've you just just one because I have one on on my honorable mentions list. So we'll talk about that. We'll we'll go ahead and I'll let you include that, and then I'll when you talk about yours, okay. I'll talk about mine. Okay. So, but what are some of the elements for you, Tim, that just make up a great love story? Uh, pain. It has to involve <laughs> the couple cannot get together easily. And they cannot stay together. It, I'm tempted to say they can't stay together easily. So it just has to involve all sorts of... Yeah, there's got to be something to overcome. Yeah, and they have yeah. to be internal and external 
problems to the couple getting together. Like in, internal, like things outside of the couple themselves are trying to stop them. And then also things inside the couple, or did you mean like internal yeah, by yeah, yeah. In the inner life of the individual people? Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, my number one, I won't, I won't say what my number one is, but I, I think that my number one is probably the couple that gets together. Their obstacles are much more internal than external. Mm. Okay. Heidi, what are some of the elements? So Tim says pain. I agree. Right. Have to have something to overcome. There has to be pain. Um, which, which is why um, Princess Bride is the greatest love story ever, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, a great book, by the way. Um, it is okay. a very good book. So Heidi, do you have anything else that needs to be... I mean, is a great love story just pain? No, absolutely not. Uh, I think <laughs> that a in a typical literary sense for most people when they think of a great romance or great love story there's a a big feeling involved a a great attraction that feels irresistible and then of course as you guys said the big obstacle to overcome for the consummation of those feelings in the happily ever after or not or a great loss you know a great love story can also be a tragedy okay tim would you agree with that Absolutely. So yeah, then, absolutely. So then we're the way then we are for, for the sake of this conversation, we are allowing sad endings. I sure hope so, David. <laughs> Me too. I sure hope so, okay. Because I couldn't All escape right. it. <laughs> um perfect. Okay, so we have that it has to be irres- there has to be an irresistible connection. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah. And then yeah. um some kind of gravity between them, and then there has to be pain. Anything else mm-hmm. we need to do we need to add? I mean, does there what do we have is does a great love story have to have a certain kind of character or something like that? I mean, do do the people that make up this couple um, do they have to be? Do they have to have certain characteristics or anything like that? That's not a leading question. I feel like I'm asking it like it sounds like I'm looking for something. It's not, I'm not though. Right. Uh, I yeah. I I think that's a good question. I think that I mean usually yes. Usually there's something extraordinary about both of them, um, but not always. I think one thing is there has to be a pretty deep sense of um, desperation at some point for each member of the couple. Like they have to be desperate for the other person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which in some ways is sort of like really. For the sake of long-lasting happiness, a sense of like really desperate, a desperate need for the other person is probably not a recipe for everlasting happiness. But I think for the sake of the romance, it's got to be there. You've got to have each member of the couple at various points desperate to be with each other. Hmm. So for people who are not necessarily regular listeners of the other Close Reads show where we talk about novels and the plays, the thing, and so forth. And they mainly tune into this show uh, or they're tuning in for the first time. You, you are a playwright. Um, and right. I'm curious if... This is something that just popped into my head, but wasn't wasn't planned. But I'm curious if you're... Uh, you're I'm curious, I guess, if you have spent much time trying to write love stories into your plays. I... The first play that I ever wrote and the play that I've probably spent the most time on is about the 
four years in the life of Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher. If people know philosophy, they've probably heard of his name. And Kierkegaard's life was marked by a torrid romance with Regina Olsen. And it was a torrid romance with a very unhappy ending and all sorts. I mean, it's just like ripe for literary investigation because they, they ended up, um, he, he asked her to marry him. She said, yes, they were engaged. And then he felt like God was calling him to this other task that would have just crushed her. And plus he knew that he was, I don't know that he was, bipolar but he was complicated and he felt like he'd just be a hanging poor regina with his you know personality and all his foibles so he ended it and today they're buried she's buried next to her husband and i think they're the the grave the graveyard in which they're buried in copenhagen i think they're buried like 30 feet from each other in just kind of an ironic twist and apparently they've each loved each other until the very end of their respective lives so yeah i've in the play that i just finished working on is about edith wilson the second wife of woodrow wilson and their their romance was also so torrid and also filled with all sorts of obstacles so hmm. yeah i've tried my hand at it a few times did you find that you uh did you, do you find that it was easy to write or was it harder than most things you've written no, I, for some reason, if you set, if you know what the characters want, and um, and you don't let, let them have the other the person that they're seeking very easily, <laughs> I, I found them very fun to write. I mean, Woodrow and Edith. I don't want to make this podcast about my play, but Woodrow and Edith, he was absolutely smitten with her from the moment he saw her, and she was much. She was very reluctant to be involved with him because she knew what it meant. She thought that he was just kind of infatuated with her. And they ended up being, I mean, it's like all of the first couples, they might have had the most remarkable romance of any of them. It was, it was incredible. Hmm. Okay. Um, Heidi, have you ever... You're, I mean, you don't write plays, but I'm curious if you've ever... Um spend much time trying to produce a fictional love story? No, no. I mean, I write poetry and that's where I've written about love. And I love, love poetry. So I'm glad you're bringing this up because I, I love, I love, love poetry a lot, but the traditional narrative romance is not the most compelling reading. I enjoy it. I'll read it. I, I love the, and I, and I like a kind of a sub-narrative, like a secondary love story narrative, which is how a lot of my picks are today. Um, mm. But as the driving force of a novel, I don't love a romance. If it's the central conflict of the novel. Hmm. I'll read them and I like them, but I don't, I'm not, you know, it doesn't capture me. But poetry, I love to read and write love poetry. So I'm not anti-love. I need that to be clear. I love love. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, what, um, like why, so what, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate what right. you were just saying, but mm -hmm. why do you not find 
you know, when the central conflict of a story is a romance, like, why do you not find that as interesting? I, I think because and this is what I've been thinking about. This is the soul searching I've done. Why is that? Why, you know, cause you're just it, cold. I guess so. I'm just a cold hearted. Yes. But Tim, do you I, want to add any other adjectives? <laughs> <laughs> or come up with some kind of metaphor. But, um, right. um, I, I think it's because I, I, I think in the story of a life, generally, the love story has a time and a season in which it is the driving force of human life, but it isn't necessarily that way the whole way through, or else Mm. I think it becomes often artificial or forced or idealized or demonized. Mm. And so I think that it holds a secondary place with the exception, of course, of when you, you meet the person you fall in love with and, and your marriage is that is, is the primary story of a human life. But it, I, I don't know if I think that that's realistic or healthy throughout an entire human life. And so I, I, I like to have multiple kinds of stories in a novel that I'm reading. Whereas that was in a poem, very bad. Well, well, thank you. Thanks, Tim. Well, and I think in a poem, you're kind of, kind of the point of a poem is you're isolating an experience in order to look at it from various angles. Right. And and so, of course, love is prob- love and death are probably the primary explorations in poetry, right? But I'm not sure if that is just as yeah, compelling to me much as the same it should Right. I completely agree with that. That we should do an entire podcast on that um, <laughs> or write a book or something. So, but anyway, that's that's probably why that is true for me. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's just dive in then, because who knows how long this could take us. So, mm-hmm. okay. Did you guys number them? Did you order them? Yes. I did since you said we were going to count them down. I did. Okay. So since you've been sitting here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here (laughs) we go. So I'll let you go first then, Tim. What is your number five on your list? Uh, My number five is one of the greatest books ever written. Uh, It's (laughs) The Odyssey. It's Odysseus and Penelope. All right. right, It's my number one. That's my number one. Okay. Nice. I think it, yes, my most romantic story in the world is the Odyssey. It is on my list as well, mm-hmm. and it is number two. So oh. let's let's save that then and okay. focus on that towards the end because I think that that's going to be one of the the you know we're going to be able to talk a lot about that. Are you cool with that, Tim? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay, that's Heidi, great. what's your number five? Um, my number five is the Tale of Two Cities. Nice. Okay. Why is that? Is that on your list, Tim? It's not. Yeah, me neither. So it's not a traditionally romantic narrative. It holds a secondary place. I like stories about human longing. And I like stories about how uh, some kind of longing is formative and shaping to the soul to virtue. And and I think in The Tale of Two Cities, the story of Sydney is so powerful that the redemptive moment is because he is in love and he is laying down his life for the beloved. And I, I find that to be a very romantic kind of sub-narrative to this story. Hmm. Tim, have you read that? A long time ago, yes. How many times have you read it, Heidi? I've read Tales Two Cities three times. Okay. 
Is it a favorite, Heidi? Do you consider that book no, a favorite? No, I don't. And Dickens isn't generally my favorite, but I like Dickens. I appreciate Dickens. And I think that A Tale of Two Cities is, I, I mean, one of the most I, virtue shaping of his stories. Like it is, it, it, it deals in extremes, like very big feelings, very big attachments and loyalties uh, and conflicts. And I think that this thread of redemption, the redemption of Sydney's love that is uh, never requited and entirely undeserved. And he knows that. He knows he is not worthy of his beloved. And so this, this act of self-annihilation in her, pla- in her husband's place is the redemptive moment of the book. It's a far, far better thing I do than, that, than I have ever done. So I, mm. I think that's very romantic. Mm. Yeah. So we'll have to, I mean, we could spend a long time, but this episode is going to certainly be a little bit more overview on each of these books. Um, mm-hmm. My number five is yeah. not, um, not romantic in any sort of traditional sense. Um, in fact, in some ways it doesn't end romantically at all. And there's really very little actual romance in it. So in some ways maybe I'm cheating, but it is Lonesome Dove. Have you guys read oh, that? I've yeah. never oh, read that. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. So there are a, there are a couple of different um, romances or potential romances kind of on the fringe, some of which sort of come to fruition, so to speak, and some of which don't. And then they're kind of mirrored by anti-romances throughout the whole book. But one of the core sort of relationships is there's this young woman who has been essentially... It's the, it's the Old West, if you don't know. This young woman has been essentially forced into prostitution in this small town and these two older cowboys uh, sort of take a liking to her but in a way that's sort of protective and so she's trying to get to san francisco to escape this place and these guys are going on a cattle drive and they kind of bring her along and then there ends up being this whole thing where they have to rescue her from bad guys and so this sort of uh this sort of pseudo romance sort of blossoms out of that um and it's not always actually stated um and so I, it's not it's not romantic in a Romeo and Juliet sort of mm-hmm. sense, but I think I always read it in a sort of romantic way. I don't think that it is a idealization of the old West by any means, which some people do think. I think it, I think that he accomplished what he was setting out to do to sort of make it as sort of dark and and bloody and um, sort of anti romantic, anti idealistic as he was. That's what that's what he was trying to do. I think he accomplished that. But I think that one of the sort of lights of the book is the the almost romances that are on the fringe of it at pretty much everywhere, all these different relationships. So um, uh, yeah, that's, that's my number five. I love that book, Dave. That's a great choice. Yeah. It's one of my, it's, if you just asked me my favorite novels and you said top 10, theoretically it might be higher oh. than top five in my top 10, but on this particular list of, of, uh, of not, you know, as far as for their romantic quality, uh, it's only number five. So yeah. right, uh, Tim, number, you're number four. My number four is All the Pretty Horses hmm. by Cormac McCarthy. The That's main great- characters, the romantic characters are John Grady Cole, a young Texan who crosses with his best friend into Mexico to work on a horse ranch of a very wealthy uh, Mexican man. And he falls in love with the man's daughter. Totally forbidden. It's, it cannot go anywhere, but it doesn't matter. 
they are just like absolutely smitten with each other. And <laughs> so it's it 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 gives all, it checks all the boxes: desperation, all the boxes. stability, pain. Yeah. yeah. Oh Cowboys. yeah. And they, I mean, they have this connection. He's he's a horse whisperer. He's just got this preternatural ability with horses. And she is this beautiful young woman who just loves her horses and owns, I think, this Arabian stallion that she rides everywhere, you know, hair flowing in the wind. It's just, <laughs> it's, this, the story is, is, it is as old as stories possibly can get. Like, you've heard the story, you've read the story a hundred times, but Cormac McCarthy is, listeners of Close Reads know, I just think is the supreme master working in English fiction right now. And he just, oh, the book is just so delightful. Uh, National Book Award winner in the mid-90s, I believe. Although I imagine that many people who know Cormac McCarthy are surprised to find him on a list of the your the favorite romantic novels. <laughs> but it, right, it, it, that's a great he's, choice. He's a very... Um, he's known as a pretty grisly, violent writer. And there is lots of violence in his book. And there's violence in this book. But this is just a lovely, it's just a lovely romance. It's not the, ex- it's not the exclusive focus of the book, but it's a, it's a primary focus of the book. And I just think it's so beautifully done. Hmm. Heidi, you're number four. Okay, so before that, you should know that I totally guessed that all the pretty horses was going to be on Tim's list. Oh, good, good, Heidi. It's good to <laughs> I, I mean, was looking through my bookshelves and if I we, saw it, and I'm like, "That's going to be on Tim's list." Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> if we <laughs> ask for a list of books, there's a uh-huh. it's going to fit in any category of books on for Tim's <laughs> I list. Know. I know. Right? Well, and there's there's a couple that I'm guessing are going to be on David's, and I'll let you know if they're they're on there as we continue. Um, my number four is persuasion. Mm. Um, is that on yours, Tim? No, I've never read it actually. Do you have any Jane Austen on your list, Tim? I don't. I almost put one on, but I did not. So persuasion is not on my list, but I do have a Jane Austen on the list when we'll get to that. Yeah. So, um, persuasion is her, the book that she this is my only Jane Austen on my list um Pride and Prejudice is obviously kind of the primary mm-hmm. romance of western culture right so I mean Pride and Prejudice is but I don't find Pride and Prejudice to be particularly romantic although it might be on David's list I don't know um because it is not full of longing and I associate longing with romance and so, and persuasion is, uh, so the, the plot of persuasion is that there was a breakup from this young couple many years before, uh, the story picks up. And then this story kind of tells how they are brought back together again, humbled and having learned from their journey apart. Um, and throughout the whole novel, she thinks that he is lost to her and, she she undergoes this very deep repentance for what she has done to him by ending it. And so, and explores how she is formed by that. And, um, and, and then their, their reconciliation, I think is the most tender 
out of all of Jane Austen's work, hmm. the most emotional. Because hmm. I, I don't find Jane Austen to be a very emotional writer. So. No, I agree with you. Heidi, I, having not read Persuasion, I've heard plenty of people talk about Persuasion. And I, in my, what I have heard is that people say it's her best work mm-hmm. or people say, oh, I can't even stand it. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Really? It's very different. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And it's true. It's different. And I think it is because it's her least ironic book. It's her least funny book. It's her most emotional book. It's almost Bronte-esque in the uh. development of this character. And so there's there's this tragedy to it that and this De- the, this depth of feeling that is absent from her other work. Like the rest of it, her other novels read kind of like if we're going by Harry Potter houses, which I just drug in there, it's more <laughs> like Ravenclaw, right? Like, like <laughs> her, like they're very intellectual romances and they're lovely and beautifully written and, and all of those things, but they're not emotional. Hey, and, Heidi, which house do you think Tim would be in? You're the sorting hat. Which house do you sort Tim in? <laughs> um, I, well, I, I think Tim is, I think I would put Tim in a Gryffindor because I think, yeah, I think I'd put Tim in Gryffindor. I have to say, I don't know what that means because I've never read Harry Potter. <laughs> I've never seen Harry Potter, so I'm totally ignorant. So, I'm, well, I'm what is we're still friends, but barely. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think we can work through this, Heidi? I think we can, but it's going to take you reading Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 There's only one way, Tim. It's very specific. <laughs> um, but it w- yeah, it won't take you that some, long. Yeah, but uh, Ravenclaw is like the nerdy kind of house, the smart house, the intellectual house and you might you might fit into that one too but there's there are hidden depths in tim so (laughs) (laughs) and the i'm in gryffindor you have to tell me the house that harry potter's in man all right we we should probably move on before we should move on that's right hold this we start sorting the books that's right (laughs) so okay what's your number four okay my number four my number four is um going to drive our mutual friend angelina stanford crazy um, but we'll delight Sarah McKenzie and all her people because my number four is Anne of Green Gables. Oh, that is on my honorable mention for sure. That yeah. that is a book that is um, great for people of all ages. Um, is a book that, despite its perhaps reputation as a girls' book, is a great book for middle school and high school boys, in my opinion. Um, it has a great movie series that is tied to it, um, and it checks the boxes. Right there's pain and there's irresistibility because even when it seems like these two people don't like each other they're continually thrust back you know towards each other there's it's gravity in that way and uh you know sometimes the desperation is to get away from each other but it still works out in the end so and also it's it's um romantic in the sense that it's um very tied to a lot of classic literature you know even we're not we're not talking about romanticism here, but it's tied to romanticism and alludes to it quite a bit. And I think in that way, it it um, creates an aura of romanticness, or kind of a romantic um, a romantic aura to it. And I, I think all of that makes for a very pleasing uh, literary experience, which I think should be 
tied as much as possible to truly romantic books. Like you should want to hang out in them for a while, so to speak. Um, and the book should the best romantic books, you know, will make you fall in love with the book, you know, in some way as well. So um, it's not necessarily a book I go back to all the time, but it's a book that I think about way more than I read, if that makes sense. And I think mm-hmm. that it has sort of a, a it sort of captured uh, my imagination. Um, even when I was much younger. And I don't mean that in a way that it made me like think this is what romance is, but just it's so well written and it's such a great character study of two people who are uh, gradually falling in love that not because of some sort of um, like silly trope or something, but because they're really well drawn characters that the author puts in, you know, that, that it makes sense that they that they're supposed to be together even when they don't think they're supposed to be together, which mm. I think is, is a good good bit of a romantic a great romantic book so um that's a great choice david yeah. i love yeah. yeah i love that mm-hmm. um okay uh tim your number we're in a three right your number three my number three is a farewell to arms by ernest hemingway mm. starring mm. lieutenant henry and Catherine barclay uh this i mean this is almost the anti-romantic book if you want a happy ending because this book is notorious for the conclusion it could not be sadder the first Mm -hmm. time that i read it i felt like someone had just punched me in the stomach i had i did not know hemingway was my first literary love i read um the sun also rises and i think this might have been the second book that i read a farewell to harm a farewell to arms and i was not prepared for the ending and I just, I could not believe it. It hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. Hmm. That's also Let's on my honorable some... mention. I love that That was book. on your honorable mention? Yeah, Holly? and I did, I did throw that book across the room. Like I <laughs> oh threw the paperback from my high school sophomore honors English class across the room when I finished it. Hmm. Hey. A, yeah. Because you, because you, you seen, love their uh, love, right? It's wonderful. Oh, I know you do. You do. It's you just so want them beautiful. both to be redeemed because oh man, they've been through so much suffering. So anyway, I'm with you. That's a very romantic book. Heidi, have you seen Silver Linings Playbook, the movie? No, no. There's a scene. Oh, you, you like it's a. I really like the movie, and there's a scene where the main character has just returned home from being in, I think, a mental institution of some sort because he caught his wife in an affair and he just snapped. So he comes back home after being in this mental institution and he's reading A Farewell to Arms and the camera kind of like jumps to him right when he's finishing the book and he said, what the? And the next (laughs) shot you see is the book flying out of a broken window. And then he's in his room at 2 a.m. And he's like, she died. Yeah. yeah. She loved her and she died. I mean, he's just like in a rage. It's so brilliant. It's such a great dude. Yeah, that's a, I believe that's a David O. Russell movie. And that's, um, that is uh, Bradley Cooper. Uh-huh. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And, and Jennifer Robert, Lawrence. Yeah. 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 Good to know. Okay. So let's do a quick rundown here. So Tim, well, I guess we got to. Have we? Tim just did his th- his third, so we got to mm. go through three again. I'm I'm all mixed up now. Numbers, yeah. that's a problem. Okay, Heidi, what's your third? Okay, so my third is a traditional romance. Uh, it is Jane Eyre. My number yeah, I three. I figured that had to show up on someone's mm. list. Mm-hmm. That's definitely on my list, and 
But here's why. Here's what I love about Jane Eyre's about that love story. It's not the crazy wife in the attic and the calling across the moors and and all of that. Although I I think that makes for a really good story. And I like the gothic romance. But I love his relentless pursuit of her. How he wants to know her and goes after her heart. I think that is really beautiful and captivating to me. and. That just that he she she's hiding from him and he wants to know her. I love that. I think that's romantic. Yeah. Hmm. David, did that show up on your list? It did not show up on my list. It's it was funny because I was just I was I googled this question, you know, most romantic books, so trying to I. avoid all the romance <laughs> novels, just because I wanted to see what people, you know, what were the common things that were going to show up. And Jane Eyre shows up on you know a lot of the lists. Uh, is that on yours, Tim? No. Okay. So let's... Well, I guess I got to do my, my third. Then, yeah, huh? yeah. All right. My third is Crossing to Safety. Oh, yeah. Um, Wallace Stegner. We've done, we did a whole series of episodes on that. And it's got you know all of it. It's got lots of pain, irresistibility, uh, desperation. It clicks, checks off the boxes. Plus great yeah. uh, intimate scenes you know, of people who really love each other. And not in a way that's um, you know, scandalous, but like you know, really loving, um, intimate in the sort of best sort of ways, you know, um, people dealing with problems and finding ways to communicate things that are almost incommunicable and, uh, learning to love each other, uh, and communicate with one another over time. All those things, I think in the greatest, um, the greatest romances all show up. It it, it was, I, I was very tempted to put it at number one. And just in terms of my, my sheer, you know, affection for it, it might be number one, but the two ahead of it, I, felt belonged there. So I'll just say that for now. But yeah. um okay, so uh let's recap then. So Tim, your top three were or, or your yeah, I guess three, four, five were the Odyssey at five, all the pretty horses yep. at four, and a farewell to arms at three. Correct. Uh Heidi, you had a tale of two cities at five, right? Mm-hmm. Persuasion right. Persuasion at four and Jane Eyre at three. Mm-hmm. So you have a thing for books written between 1780 and 1880. <laughs> and um, then mine are Lonesome Dove, End of Green Gables, and Crossing to Safety. So let's, we've got the top two now. So, Tim, what is your number two? Much Do About Nothing, Benedict right. and Beatrice. Yeah, that's the play that was, I didn't put it on my list, but that's the one that would be there for me. Yeah. And that checks all the boxes also. They they despise each other, at least ostensibly, when they meet for the first time. But I mean, I think by act two, you know, oh, they're just, they are crazy about each other. Or you at least know that if they'll just allow themselves, they'll be crazy about each other. And it works quite nicely. Can, can I say one thing that's interesting in a few of these books? The success, the happiness of a couple is often juxtaposed by a a failing or failed relationship. I think a lot of authors kind of hmm. use sort of shadow yeah. and light. Hmm. Um, They're mirroring. Yeah, they, to kind of mirror each other. Yeah, and I, well, the reason I said mirroring is because I think that a lot of times you, what people... Act- what these characters, what will happen is characters will actually see in another relationship 
some sort of flaw or failure in their own relationship or some way of something to avoid. And I actually think that when that manages, when they manage, when an author manages to pull that off, it adds a layer of complexity because there is, there is the prospect, not just the prospect, the pro, let me put it this way. There's not just the prospect that they might fail, but there's the reality of other failure already there. And so right. there's more pathos to the story because of right. that. Whereas I think a lot of times you'll just, you know, the, the classic romance novel is just these two people like what's, you know, they pursue each other. And that's all well and good when it's told well, but that, that degree of contrast there um, can, can make the story that much more complex. And that's why they last, I think. And that's why, you know, that's what's happening in all of these ones, these books that have lasted at least a few decades in, in most cases. Heidi, yeah. would you, if, would you say that much about nothing is Shakespeare's most romantic play? Um, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. I think that it is very, I think that it is the play that has the meeting of true minds. Hmm. Certainly. in Beatrice and Benedict. And that is romantic. Hmm. What would you, I mean, would you, if you, if you had to say, you know, this is the most romantic Shakespeare play, what are you, what are you saying? Antony and Cleopatra? (laughs) (laughs) Macbeth, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Hamlet. Othello. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. That play is so claustrophobic. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I've never thought about the question of Shakespeare's most romantic play. Um, I think that there are certain, I think I've thought about the scenes, like the scene in The Winter's Tale when, hmm. um, when she is the statue and she comes back. Exit to pursued life. by a bear. Exit pursued by a bear. I mean, that just. Um, that I think that scene is so yes, that's right. Yes, by a bear. <laughs> yeah, the the <laughs> toxic masculinity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, I think there, but just in terms of the 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 couple that fits that finds their way to each other, it is Beatrice and Benedict, hands down. Hmm. Okay, so. That's Tim's second. What's your second? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaber Crow. Oh, I just love that book. I think it's deeply, deeply romantic. Um, I think the way that he it loves is. Maddie is the way that every woman wants to be loved. And the fact that there is a divide between them um, is a, a formative aspect to both of their souls. And then they still make their way to each other. Uh, without violating the covenant and the sacrament of, I, I just I think it's an absolutely beautiful novel about mm-hmm. love. So um, I cheated and I put Hannah Coulter and Jaber Crow as my number two. In a Me combo. too. That's what I did, and I just picked right <laughs> in, right now as I opened my mouth. That was exactly what I did because okay because still my turn because Hannah Coulter you can say everything you need to say I, I know I'll just agree the, at the house end. the house that he builds for her before he goes to war and then the whole part about um I and it, this is I mean this this is explicit when he talks about the when she talks about the way he looks at her and she couldn't meet his gaze until she was sure she wanted to take her clothes off that's so romantic Mm. Both of those novels are to me the, and they belong together. I wish that they weren't two novels. So they're just because (laughs) I want to put both of them in my number two. I want to put both in my number two as well, but 
I, I think Jaber Crow feels a little more romantic to me because of the loss. Um, but Hannah Coulter is about a real life and a real love mm-hmm. that a, that real people can, happy people can build. And so that also is deeply, deeply romantic to me, especially as I get to middle age and I'm just so over tragedy and love. I just, you know, like there's nothing that appealing to me about that anymore. Nothing that feels romantic about just loss of that of, as a, as a result of sin in, in a lifelong love, but mm. just the idea of building something that matters, that lasts, that's mm. definitely Hannah Coulter. So you yeah. cheated just like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the thing about Hannah Coulter is that there are, really two romances in it mm-hmm. and both yes. of them are marked by varying degrees of tragedy and varying degrees of, you know, faithfulness. Uh, so I think that those are great choices, obviously I am right there with you. Um, <clears throat> for me, well, I'll, I'll talk about something I left off, um, at the end. So that's, so that covers my number two as well. So, so, so far, Tim, again, we'll do a recap one more time. The Odyssey, all the pretty horses, farewell to arms and much to do about nothing. Heidi, a tale of two cities, persuasion, Jane Eyre, Jaber, and Jaber Crow, Hannah Coulter combo, and then for me, Lonesome Dove, uh, Anne of Green Gables, Crossing to Safety, and the Hannah and the uh, Wendell Berry combo pack. Um, <laughs> Tim, what is your number one? This is not going to shock either one of you. It's uh, it's Anna Karenina. Mm-hmm. I figured and, it might be on there. Yeah, for, if you got if you know, readers don't know that book very well, if they just know the bumper sticker version, it's about Anna having an affair with Vronsky, but there's this counterpoint couple, which gets almost as much focus in the book, which is um, the affair between Levin and Kitty and their subsequent marriage. And it's so good. It's just Mm -hmm. so beautiful. Levin is maybe my all time favorite character. Like if I just identify with a person or I want to identify with a person, it's Levin. And he is heartstruck over Kitty at the beginning of the book. And she refuses him. She, she has fallen for someone else. But um, yeah, I don't want to ruin the book because I want everyone to go out and read it immediately. It, it ends up well for them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so, it's just so beautifully drawn. Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, he's just such a master. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of a debate here about whether that's a you know really romantic book, um, or whether you know the degree to which it show, should show up on a list like this, which ostensibly is you know meant to be happy and celebrate yeah. Valentine's yeah. Day and so forth. But uh, that wouldn't really be our really be our style. But um, well, I think I mean I've said this when before. Tolstoy originally titled it. I have heard two marriages not Anna Karenina. And it is the story of these two different couples, one successful, one unsuccessful. And I think Kitty and Levin are very successful, but it's not sugar-coated. I mean, when they get married, they have the sort of troubles that married couples have, but they, they keep at it and they love each other. They just love each other. Hmm. Right. And you know what? That is on what's interesting. I did the same thing, David. I don't know if you did that, Tim. Googled romantic novels. And Anna Karenina is on lots of the lists, but it never even mentions Kitty and Levin. And, you know, it gives you like a short description. Crazy. Yeah. 
and that that's on my honorable mention is the Kitty and Levin sub story in Anna Karenina. And to affirm you, you are a lot like Levin. Like you, that that oh is true God. about like, you. I am like, I'm big yeah. for a, like the month now, Heidi. That was yeah. such a, you don't know, you don't know what a compliment that is to me. Well, it's true. <laughs> I think that that is true. And that novel is romantic because of Kitty and Levin. And if not, it's just without them, it's just Madame Bovary, right? Like it's not. Exactly. Exactly. It, it needs that it, in order to sh- that that those are the golden threads tied throughout that novel that that make you see what real love is. Hmm. Hmm. So Heidi, your number one then is the Odyssey, right? Uh huh. Yeah. And and I have that as my number one too. Um, mm-hmm. I left off Pride and Prejudice, and I'll talk about why later. So both of us have the Odyssey as our number one. Um, it was Tim's number five. So we that's we should probably uh, you know that's that's the one book yeah. that showed up on everybody's list. So we should talk about that now. Um, and uh, Tim, I didn't give you a chance to talk about that earlier, so I'll let you answer why that shows up on your list first. So even though it was, it you were your number five, but it it has this incredible ability of both being. Odysseus and Penelope have the ability of both being a particular couple that have a very intimate relationship and they're very, I mean, they are drawn down to the last freckle in so many ways. And on the other hand, they are such archetypes, Mm -hmm. like their relationship and each of are such, they're so grand and that Homer can accomplish both that intimacy and the kind of grand tableau of this couple is magnificent. Hmm. Heidi, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I think that the <laughs> Let me rephrase the question. It's your you turn keep it to down add to, to this. a minute. Yes. <laughs> Um, yes, I think the Odyssey is the, the romance of the human soul and it is the, the man overcoming, getting to be a hero and to go through these adventures, but always homeward, right? Like this, this idea that he's fighting battles and becoming a hero for the purpose of coming home to love is just a beautifully romantic idea and, and, and truth that is, you know, the masculine soul needs to fight some battles and to do it for the sake of being united in love to the woman that he loves. And to be Penelope is the weaving and the unraveling, the fighting off suitors that it's just a really, it's a very romantic story, but it's a sub-narrative within it. It isn't necessarily that, um, you know, this this love story that takes away from a real life or idealizes mm-hmm. marriage, mm-hmm. but it is it 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 brings a real love and a real marriage um, and puts it in a properly ordered place. Mm. You, you, the one thing that I don't, well, you both have mentioned her a little bit, but Penelope's, not just Odysseus's pursuit of a home, 
mm-hmm. and and her alert journey, but also Penelope's faithfulness is a is the you know perhaps the for me it's the central part of the, the story. And also, I think the you know what the thing that's true of this um, that romance that's not true of these other books, at least hasn't been mentioned, is you know Telemachus's role in it. That there's right. um, mm. there is a sort of a family at the core of it, um, you know, and and their their faithfulness to one another. I mean, we can, in another podcast, we can argue about Odysseus, I suppose. But um, the faithfulness, especially that Penelope displays, is on behalf not just of her marriage, but of the family, of the home, and all those, you know, there's a deep romance, you know, that's a deeply romantic sentiment um, mm-hmm. at the core of her actions um, and her choices that she makes. And uh, every choice, you know, I, I don't think it should be lost on us. Every choice that she makes, it seems like, is um, in defense of the things that she holds most dear, which, you know, her family, her, her family's name, her husband, her hope, her, you know, her son. And, and it's, and it's about bringing him along in it too, which is kind of, you know, sort of anti-romantic or at least anti the way we can think of romance now, you know? Uh, um, so very few of the, the books that are about romance are, are about, you know, children, <laughs> which is kind of an odd thing, but in the Odyssey, it is, you know, um, and it's about him, not just him being a child, but him becoming a man. And somehow that gets yeah. brought into this crazy um, relationship between these two people who love each other a lot. I think that's just a fascinating, uh, fascinating turn there. And interestingly, the book begins with Telemachus, right? It means the Telemachy. It does, so yeah. Most, perhaps the most romantic book ever written begins with the journey of this young guy figuring out what to do about the fact that his dad's been gone for all these years. And what do I do about my home now? Um, before it even becomes about Odysseus or Penelope, it, it starts with that. I'm, I'm just fascinated by that. One of the other things that is so lovely about the book is that when Odysseus and Penelope are apart, the world is deranged. It's not just that their particular lives or their particular home is, um, Hmm. you know, in chaos, which it is. There are all these suitors that are eating up Odysseus's food and his livestock. And so things are not right in the home, but even more broadly, it's like, it feels like cosmically things are undone. And then when they get together, as a cu- it, it's so satisfying because the couple, the king is finally again with his queen. The queen is finally again with her king. But the ramifications of their reunion is much bigger than just with underneath their roof. It kind of extends right. throughout Ithaca. Mm. Yes, mm. that's really good. Well, and I like the fact that it's about people who are not, here again is my my bias against this, honestly, that the idea of the irresistible force is not there. And I like that. I like that it's that they are choosing to reject false homecomings throughout the whole story and to remain faithful Mm -hmm. to each other. Um, These are not young. This isn't Romeo and Juliet that were, you know, this struck by the stars that they, and they, that they have to, they have to be together. These are people who choose to overcome obstacle after obstacle in order to, to wait for the other one. And that, I think, is just so romantic. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in that book is when Odysseus reveals himself to Penelope. And for mm-hmm. a long time, she just 
kind of refuses to believe it. Mm-hmm. And you can tell because she knows she's just going to, she's just going to break if it's not true. If some other, you know, if some imposter is here, she just won't be able to take it. And also she kind of like won't be able to hold back this just overwhelming tide of affection for her man. If it really is truly him after all, I just love that Homer, like even when they're re- reunited, he still makes us suffer. There's still like the pain of we have to wait a, a little bit longer before she recognizes and accepts it really is him. Right. Hmm. Okay. So we've counted down our top five. We should go ahead and wrap this up. We could talk about these books forever. And in some cases we have. Um, so I'd le- is there a book that each of you, you know, you kept off your list that you kind of regret or kind of, you know, thought very hard about that, that, that just didn't quite make the list? How did you have, what's the version of that? What's the book that you would have? Mine was Anna Karenina. I mm. just went back and forth on that one. Tim, what about you? Gosh, I'm trying to think. I'm scanning my bookshelves right now. I'm, I'm not coming up with anything. Did you, did you, you didn't have any other honorable mentions? These were, you were pretty sure these were the five for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, there are other Shakespeare. Like, I love The Winter's Tale. Uh-huh. Um, I just, I, I was in that play. I love that play. I love that the king gets something. I mean, he could not have possibly screwed it up more. And he gets this, he gets the, the gift of his wife back. And you just, or, you just hope, please let her begin, be able to forgive him. I don't know how she could, but let Hermione be able to forgive him. So there, there, there are a couple of Shakespeare plays that I just adore um, that I thought about putting on the list. Hmm. Yeah, I debated the Shakespeare long and hard because Much Ado was, was on the edge for me. Pride and Prejudice was the one were, that I... Were there didn't. books near your list, David, that didn't quite make it on that yeah. you thought about? Pride and Prejudice, hard? for sure. I mean, I thought about putting Pride and Prejudice yeah. one. Um, I also thought about bumping Lonesome Dove, but then in the end for me, it was like, I just love Lonesome Dove and I love it for some of the romantic reasons that are, that I described. Yes. So I just put it on yes. there. Um, Pride and Prejudice, I actually think might be the best, most romantic novel ever written in the English language. That's fair. Yeah. That's but I don't fair. know that I love it, you know, as much. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have, I mean, I think we need to talk about it because, um, I mean, I think it has all the different things. It's got the they have to overcome something. The, I think even when it seems like they don't like each other, they secretly like each other. And there's a lot of deep psychological things going on there. And uh, the writing really, um, you know, suits a romance. You know, the way she, the way she presents, the way she uses language and things like that. So it was very difficult for me not to put that on there. It just kind of came down to, do I love it as much as these other books? And you know, personally, mm. I don't, but it it definitely deserves. I mean, if we were just trying to say these are objectively the books that probably deserve to be on the list, then Pride and Prejudice probably, and maybe just maybe we just put Jane Austen in general on on the list. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's true. I think, that's I, true. I think what Heidi said about Jane Austen again, I have not read Persuasion, but Jane Austen, it, it is so not. All the pretty horses, all the pretty horses, there's so much heat between the couple. It's just, it's so passionate. And I, she, to me, is much more cerebral. And so mm-hmm. the pleasure of seeing the couple come together is much, it's like, to me, watching a 
a puzzle be put together. It's very satisfying when it happens. Um, but it does seem like it's more, I don't think you use this word, Heidi, but it's my word. It's a little bit more of a cerebral romance than, right. than like maybe Kitty and Levin or um, John Gritty, Cole and Alejandra. Like it's not so passionate, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They care. Absolutely, they care. But it's not, yeah, the red-hot, passionate lovers. I mean, ultimately, the the catharsis is because not so much they want to be together, but because we as readers are like, you guys obviously need to be together. This is silly. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's marriage as a, as a reward for virtue and steadfastness. Right? <laughs> yeah, like which, they, as Justin Bieber has been talking about. Right, exactly. It's a really popular idea in modernity. <laughs> uh, I, I, actually, that is funny because that has popped up as Justin Bieber was in an interview recently and he was talking about how he decided to uh, forego having sex basically for moral and religious reasons. And then he's like, and in the end, I got my wife. This is great. So wow. he, he ruffled some feathers about that. I don't that's think that's hilarious. what Jane Austen is saying, but you know. <laughs> yeah, Jane Austen, ways, Justin Bieber. That's, I mean, it's appealing to the modern audience, I think, for lots of reasons. And I think that's one of it, especially that, that idea of if, if you are a virtuous woman, then a good man will marry you. Like, that's not a, a, a big message being emblazoned across <laughs> our culture. So, um, You're not hearing that on no, nightly broadcasts? No, no, I mean, I'm not, but... Granted, I'm pretty much just sitting around reading. So, um, A Farewell to Arms was also on my honorable mention, and Hunchback of Notre Dame was also. Oh, I've never read that. I know the story, but I've never read it. Is it good? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's yeah. very, yeah, it's very passionate. Lots of, um, you know, lots of the things you talk about, the desperation. Lots of French stuff. Lots of French stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, I thought a lot about putting all the pretty horses. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. I always think about all the pretty horses on any book list. But then, <laughs> then it became, it, for some reason, I realized that it's for me, I think the appeal for it has been more the adventure stuff that I love in Westerns yeah. and stuff like that. And it didn't occur to me, you know, until thinking about it for this list, thinking of it as a romance. And so for me, it just kind of felt like I hadn't thought about it enough from that perspective for it to show up. Mm. The other book yeah. that, almost showed up on my list is Never Let Me Go, which is the other book, which is another book by uh, Kazuo, Ish- Kazuo Ishiguro, who wrote Remains of the Day, which we're, we're just finishing up over on Close Reads. So one of his, uh, his 2005 novel, which is kind of a dystopian book, but also is uh, pretty romantic in a tragic, romantic sort of way. So uh, I saw the movie. I thought the movie was great. I haven't read the book. Oh, the book is like, that that's a relatively despised adaptation by many people mm-hmm. who like I've the heard book. that. Yeah. I liked the movie. I didn't I mean it's not like in my favorite, but I liked it. But it's everybody fine. says the it's book fine is. if you just don't know anything about the book. But okay. it leaves Got out it. like a huge portion of their lives, which is what defines a lot of the romance. So it makes it feel more whole. So uh, it needed to be like a six episode, you know, HBO series Maybe or something series, where yeah. they could let it or a Netflix series where they could let it breathe a little bit. Oh, all right. So we'll post these these uh, lists on the Instagram and Twitter pages and things like that, so people can see them and you know add more books to their to their reading list if they need to. We of course would love to hear from you, listeners. You know, with your list, your top five posts. You know, send them to us. Post them on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you like. Uh, argue with us. I'm sure we 
broke some hearts um, with this one. And I'm sure there's some people that will take issue with like, for example, my choice of Lonesome Dove or a farewell to arms being on the list. I'm anybody that arg- argues that the Odyssey doesn't belong in the list. Just don't, don't add us. Cause that doesn't make sense. You're <laughs> <Right>. wrong. <laughs> Anything you guys want to add to this, to this conversation before we go? No, this no, is great. That was great. For national friends day, we should do one of these about like <laughs> national friends day. When is that? <laughs> no, it's a thing. It's a thing now. All right. Well, well you have that to read then. the Harry Potter series to come full circle before yeah, exactly. okay, if we do that needs to be on your list. If we do <laughs> National a National Magic Day, Friends Day <laughs> I will commit to at least reading book one. Is that fair? Well, you, no, you have to read the whole series. It's the worst book. <laughs> nah, it's not the worst book. Second worst. Yeah. yeah. And by Both that, series. I mean it's just not as good okay. as the other ones. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll do a Harry Potter episode one day where we just we rank the Harry Potter books. <laughs> uh, well, thanks to you both for being on the show, uh, for joining me for this. I, I love top thanks, five David. list episodes. It's uh, just because we can, you know, we, we always hear from people who get very mad at, at list at list episodes. So that's those are the best kind of conversations when the listeners. Yeah, are. yeah. When you um, learn so much about people, I just yeah. this is so great. It's true. Well, like I said, we will post the list on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, don't forget about our newsletter, which is at closereadspods.com. We're at closereadspods on Instagram and on Twitter. And then you can find us uh, on email at network at... Is that right? Dang it, there's too many of these things. closereadspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, for Tim, for Heidi, for all of us here at the Close Reads Podcast Network, thanks so much for listening. Happy reading and we'll talk to you next week here on Libromania.